I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. 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 Hello and welcome to another spectacular, wonderful, extra special Monday afternoon episode. Monday evening, really, for the two of us. Mm. Well, it's not even Monday evening because for the listeners at home, it's it's Wednesday, maybe Tuesday if Ken's feeling a little up and up on it. You've been good about getting those early episodes up, Kenneth Shepard, my co-host on Normandy FM. I tried. <laughs> You've been getting those up. It's gotten harder since you've got a real big boy job, and we have to record so much later, but it happens. Hey, look, I, Eric Van Allen, need to make those... You have a big boy job, too. Don't don't sell yourself short here. It's just that now that we have jobs and we have to make money to care for our pets, uh, mm. things get more complicated, you know? It's not, not living that freelance life slash student life anymore, man. That's true. Oh wow! Our I lives have changed a lot things. just in the past month. I know. Even in, I, I would say, even since we started podcasting together, because for the folks at home, you've been listening for a while. It's time you learned a little bit about us. Ken and I met long time ago on a gaming site that shan't be named, mm. uh, and we uh, we started podcasting there. I forgot who, how we ended up podcasting that show together, like particularly well, <laughs> do you remember what like I do, I do, spurred I that on well okay so there was an originally a podcast that was happening on that site and homeboy was like i don't like doing this and we were like well we like doing oh, this so we're right, gonna take yeah. over yeah we had been kind of recurring guests on that podcast and then he decided that he no longer wanted to do it so we were going to do it but he didn't want us using the name i think or we just wanted to use our own name or something yeah I mean, I'll just is the GT reboot. Mm. I do. People can. I only. I think those episodes are gone, anyways. They are, which is very yeah. suspicious because everything is, before it is still there. Which is very mm. sad. But hey, you know it is what it is. They they couldn't handle the <laughs> the weekly updates of Ken playing that one awful uh, boy dating sim. <laughs> hey, that game. My left hand is the evil one. <laughs> that game had at least like one good route everything that else game, was abusive and weird but that game went places man it that did. game went places in a way that none of us were expecting and i'm glad i still have that last episode saved as <laughs> my left hand is the evil one dot mp3 <laughs> oh boy anyways yeah so we met there and that would have been like what 2015 about no we met 2014 20... for sure Right. Well, we, well, we, we the, met. We did take over the podcast. Yeah, we did yeah, take we, over the podcast in 2015. Right. Yeah. So we've been podcasting together in some shape or form, at least, because there were a couple of years where we didn't have that GT reboot, mm. but we did do like a game of the year podcast or something like that that we just kind of gathered together. I think there's one like hidden away that we've never actually published that we just did for our own sakes because we're weird like that. Um, 
we've been podcasting together for like four years now. Yeah. That's insane. We have changed so much. We've grown so much as people. Uh, I I had hair back then. I know. I did too. Less of it, actually. Cut my hair longer now. It was shorter back then. Mm. But now we podcast about Mass Effect. Yeah. No, no general games news here. Not, not for this podcast, except when we feel like it. Uh, today we are talking about the Geth Fighter Squadron. This is another Ken. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it again. This is another one of those where the the name of this mission sounds so totally benign, and then you get there and you're like, this is so crucial to understanding the plot of one of the major conflicts in the Mass Effect universe and you hit it behind the name Geth Fighter Squadron. Like, no, call it something better. Call it, like, diving into the Dataverse or something like that. Give it, like, a gamer-ass gamer name because this is a gamer-ass gamer mission. Like, this is videogames.com the mission. (laughs) Ugh. But this is also actually probably my favorite mission in all of Mass Effect 3. It's the one that's definitely mm. stuck with me the most after replaying it. Uh, not counting Citadel, which I have not played yet. <laughs> but, um, I mean, the setup of this is that it, it seems from the outset similar to Mass Effect 2's loyalty mission for Legion and that we're going to go kind of rewrite some code, deal with some uh, servers that are attacking the Quarian fleet and it seemed from the setup that it was very much like, oh, we're just going to go in and maybe do one of those tower defense things again or something. That we'll just click a button and we'll hack it. But then we get to go into this thing. And I was trying to think of the game that this reminds me of. Because there are other games that have done this sort of like, you're inside the data stream attacking the clusters and stuff like that. But they found a way to make combat not feel like combat in this part. It feels mm. like somewhere between a puzzle game and a narrative adventure game it's not like complicated enough to really be a puzzle game it definitely feels like modern adventure game design in terms of the way that you interact with things it's similar to like the beginner's guide or like i recently played the hex which was the sequel to pony or the spiritual successor to pony island uh and it feels similar to those games in a way but uh ken i want to hear what you felt about this mission getting into it especially how different it is from other quote-unquote combat missions right the thing that sticks out to me i mean yeah it is very different but it also in the ways that it is similar it sticks out to me because i like i love mass effect 3 like it's it's something that is not you know that is very much known by anybody that's listening to this podcast but the ways in which like this game feels like it was getting like like the walls of like the the xbox 360 was closing on it really Mm -hmm. rears its head in this mission to me because it is like so vastly different in premise but like they still have to use like the same animations and same sort of setup like Mm -hmm. Shepard navigates their way through this with a gun like you know it it doesn't shoot out bullets it shoots out this sort of like light that is basically supposed to be like a hacking thing but we like we were talking even before the show like we're getting to the point where we're talking less and less about the moment to moment because everything is starting to sort of not like every level is exactly the same but like it's starting to get where things start to blend together in terms of like the scope and the uh, ways in which the missions differ themselves from each other so yeah this mission is different but it's not 
that different, just because like they, it feels like it is existing within the confines of how this game's already been designed, and you know, I I still enjoy it. I still enjoy like the you know, it's it's like the the Thane and Samara little two missions where like it isn't combat, so like there's not this sort of like hectic, somewhat stressful situation going on here. But it is like it it really sticks out the ways the ways in which it's different does not always cover up the ways it is kind of the same to me. I felt like they went for it and said, like, how can we create hacking using the tools that we have available? And not necessarily the way that they did in Mass Effect 2, which I actually kind of hold against that game because the mini games where you're spawning mm-hmm. the similar text paragraphs or you're connecting right. the, you know, it's cool up front, but that stuff always. It's like, I always go back to like lockpicking in the Elder Scrolls games because that's mm-hmm. always really cool the first couple times you do it. And then by the end, you just want to hit the button that lets you automatically yep. do it. Because, Which is what you do in Mass Effect 3. Like, right. Because those things are gone. And I think the general idea when you're making some sort of puzzle like this is you want it to be something that feels unobtrusive. You want mm-hmm. it to be something that's. I think about. <laughs> Like, did you know that the hacking minigame in Mass Effect 1 is different between console and PC? I never knew what it was on PC, but I do know that it is different. Because like, they set it up on the, one way with a controller, one way with mouse and keyboard. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking it up to double check. Because it has been very long uh, since we played that game, now that I think about it. Um, but on PC, or, or on console, it was just... Uh, See, I'm trying to type and talk at the same time. This is great radio. Uh, on on console, it was always you just had to to hit the buttons, and with PC, it was this weird. Yeah, it was like a radio radial centric um, circles. It was like concentric circles mm. with little things that rotated around, and you kind of navigated this arrow through them without hitting the barriers. And it was kind of interesting once you realized what you were supposed to do, and it was trying to utilize the fact that you had a mouse and like make full use of that motion. But I remember, and I'm probably I'm probably on record as saying this when we were talking about Mass Effect One, the console design just ends up making more sense because you spend a tiny amount of time doing it. It's not overly difficult, but it's not overly simple, and it's a couple inputs. And you don't have that moment of, like, in the PC hacking, if you mess up more than once, you're not going to make it. Like, mm-hmm. that's just the end of it. Um, and that feels really bad because I think it's one thing to mess up and then be told, like, you failed, you don't get it. That's one thing. But to have the opportunity to mess up multiple times and you, you get to the situation where you have to watch the timer go down because you know you don't have enough time to finish it anymore that always feels really bad in a video game to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should, in, in my opinion, like a fail state should be immediate. It should not be something that you have to wait out. Um, right. And so anyway, that's, that's my long way of saying that mass effect has kind of been, whenever they try to do non-combat stuff, they try to find ways to mini game it, to novelize it, to novelize it. I don't know if that's a word even. To, to make it, like, novel, to mm-hmm. uh, to give it this kind of different feel. So I actually appreciated the fact that they were just like, you know what, we've got combat. Shepard is a soldier. Shepard interacts with things like a soldier does. I think uh, Legion makes mention of it that uh, Shepard asks, like, oh, why do I have a gun? And Legion's like, because that's how you interact with things. Like, 
that's that's like clever little nod to the fact that like yes this is how Shepard operates at the end of the day uh they can talk but they can also shoot and that's something that the player intrinsically understands as well so you're not creating this whole new mechanic necessarily you're creating this new way of interacting with that mechanic but you're not necessarily having to reinvent the wheel uh, so I thought that was smart from a gameplay design perspective. Was it ultimately that interesting and like fun to do? Not really, but luckily I don't think it overstays its welcome either. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, one mission, do... and it's a fairly short one. So. Yeah, and I think you only do the hacking where you have to take out the weak points to to hit the central part. I think you only do it maybe like four times or so throughout that sounds about right there are only about four rooms and each one is just kind of progressively more you have to think about it a little bit more and stuff like that it's it it was well paced um Mm -hmm. but the main thing that i really like about this mission and, and like the reason why we're here is to learn more about the geth the the geth revolution let's call it from the geth's point of view because for a long time we've just kind of heard about how brutal the geth are how they turned on their creators is a very Skynet uh, approach to things where it was like, oh, the machines realized they could overthrow us, so they did. And seeing it from the Geth perspective was really fascinating because you're seeing how different Quarians were reacting to it because you start to realize that not all Quarians necessarily wanted to turn on the Geth. Some of them were supportive of them developing sentience some of them died defending the geth Mm -hmm. from their brothers and sisters and uh there's there are very sad very like poignant moments where i got like chills and stuff because it was it it's it's this very like you're going like oh my god and the geth are only becoming self-aware so they're still trying to figure out what it means that someone just gave their life for them and stuff right. like that. Like they're just now learning what that is. And you can kind of hear Legion start to learn it too, because the way that he reacts to all these things going on is, you know, you're not really hearing a lot of Shepard's reflections on this. You're hearing Legion's mm-hmm. reflections on this and Shepard kind of asking questions and stuff. But I felt like it was kind of left the, the emotional input in this mission was from the player seeing these, not necessarily from Shepard seeing these. I felt like it was not right. necessarily as important that Shepard see this as the player saw this. Um, and it, it also made me think, like, again, it's got to really suck for somebody who got to this mission without Legion. Because having right. Legion there gives you that, like, extra emotional attachment. Whereas if you have the Geth VI who's just, like, hanging out, it's like, it's not quite the same. It is no. not. Yeah, I mean, there are, like, a couple scenes in particular that uh, really stuck out to me. One was, there was a point where uh, the first Geth to, like, actually try to do, like, physical harm to a Quarian picks up a sniper rifle. And mm-hmm. then Shepard mentions, that looks like the rifle that you use when we when we met. And then Legion's kind of, like, says something along the lines of, it's an efficient model. And you get the sense that, I mean, yeah, because, like, there haven't been, like, quote-unquote, new Geth that mm-hmm. have been like born in this time there have been so, new platforms but the processes have moved the processes can stay alive and move between platforms you know yeah they, so, they've, so like they've it, been it, over it, this before so it is totally possible that that process was what we know as legion right or part and of so, legion at least yeah um the other thing was the part where you it gets to the point where 
the, they're, the Quarians are kind of turning on each other, too, because they are the ones that want to keep them alive. And it shows one of the scenes where uh, a Quarian that was trying to save some Geth was killed by a... Uh, it was like they did some kind of like poison gas in the mm-hmm. room, which, obviously, that's not going to kill a Geth. So, like, it shows the extent at which there was this sort of civil war I don't know if it's yeah. what you want I mean, to call it hey like, look we're going to be treading on that a lot today Ken <laughs> yeah so like they they at that point they were they weren't even concerned about killing the Geth they wanted to specifically kill the Quarian that was trying to save them whether that's somebody that was probably somebody that was like along lines of Zen who wants to salvage the Geth and take over take them back mm-hmm. over and so you don't necessarily get like direct points to these things but like you kind of extrapolate them from what's what you're actually going to see in front of you um, so I don't know, like I, there weren't, because like there, there were some things that we kind of extrapolate from conversations we've had with Tally or Legion, but it is nice to kind of get that sort of time capsule at least, because by and we'll talk about this a little bit more as the episode goes on, but like by and large, I don't feel like there's a lot of speaking for the Geth in mm-hmm. the Rannoch art because you've got Legion who's like the sole sort of representative here, and then you've got you know the Corins and all their drama. So, they have to kind of pack in a lot at once, because, like, like, this is a very short mission, but I feel like they do a good enough... Like, they don't waste your time or beat your head over with cause Like, they pack in about exactly as much as they need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to at least, like, to make that point. And it's important that, like, you know, Mass Effect 2 is the point where we have that shock moment of, like, oh, there's a, I'm working with... A geth unit like i'm trying to make peace between tally and a geth unit and so mass effect 3 is kind of the follow-up to that of going like you know if if i can be cool with allying with one enemy that i used to fight against what's the difference between them and the others and also like i think for a lot of this i was thinking a lot about this during the mission the way that you interact with the geth is not just primarily combat, but you start to think of them as like very much objects because they are, you get AI hacking and things like that. They are part of like the level design. They are part of the level. They are things that you can manipulate to move forward. They're not necessarily things that you can interact with. They're not things that you talk to or develop a Mm. relationship with in the way that you do with other human characters. And so that's why it can be a little bit like, I've complained a lot about how like fighting the Geth in this game feels rote because we've done a lot of it before yes but also because mm-hmm. those enemies typically lack any defining characteristic beyond you know what class they are or something like that right. definitely and, not compared to like the Cerberus of reaper troops right and you you encounter very few named geth as opposed to named units from other factions that you fight like named mercenaries named cerberus all that kind of stuff and the fact that you're starting to kind of realize that at least for me like i was feeling like i was starting to have some of those preconceptions torn down because a lot of the times when i thought of the geth it was this thing of like oh no we shouldn't use them versus we should use them i was still thinking of them as like a weapon that could be wielded rather than like a race that is sentient and deserving of their own saying things and I think this mission does a very good job of pointing out like yes these are these are units you know that there's a very famous line we will get to but 
there are these processes have also begun to develop awareness and you start to get into these kind of metaphysical discussions of you know does this unit have a soul and what does what does awareness mean what does sentience mean and this mission does a very good job of like inspiring that thought without just like bashing you over the head with it because i think there's so much fiction out there that just ham-fisted goes for like Mm. you know what what does it mean to be human and things like that and you have like the very good end of it which is like near automata and ex machina and blade runner and then you have like the very bad end of it which is just david cage (laughs) (laughs) um and i think this falls on the better end of the scale i'm not gonna like go ahead and say like this is as good as blade runner or anything but because it never goes to that depth but it does want to at least posit to you this idea that you have encountered this enemy as only an enemy and so even if you're not thinking of it as an aggressive thing you are still thinking of it as a thing and not this character that you can interact with and part of it is like up to this point you've only had legion that you can talk to you only ever yeah. have legion that you can talk to and that can easily be seen as a failing of this mission that you don't necessarily get to interact with a lot of different processes within the geth consensus but i mean in the event that you make certain choices there is one at the end that you yes will get to talk to. and that is actually like one of my favorites because that that big lovable geth prime i love him <laughs> so damn much <laughs> um but so we finish this up and it actually ends with some Geth Primes getting out of their pods and they volunteered to join you to fight. And I think that's the other thing that I wanted to really like note here in this mission is that it's really the first example you see of Geth volunteering to do things outside of the consensus besides Legion. You know, Legion has made choices outside of the consensus, but we're now seeing Geth Primes becoming liberated and starting to work with uh shepherd and doing you know things of maybe not of their own individual uh free will but definitely of a decision that they have made outside of the the larger consensus mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. that's again that's that first that's more like drops in the buck in the bucket of you going like okay these are like i i can start to understand that these are free thinking you know people whatever the word people means you know um it's it's really cool it's one of the areas like again i think the the worst thing i can say about ranok is that i wish it was longer like i wish we were spending more time here because as you said we've gotten so little time to delve into this stuff and it's it's just a bummer yeah yeah it's just a bummer um there is one about there is one note i want to make here real quick um so we will be talking about this later on but there is something that legion says um so shepherd at one point can ask uh, why Koreans are shown masked in historical footage because you yeah. think about in the historical footage they would probably be unmasked right. right they wouldn't be wearing their suits yet and legion in turn asks how many Koreans shepherd has seen unmasked if you have romance tally which means you have done the whole bubble dirty with uh with with tally uh he has seen one he because only bale shepherd can romance tally goddamn cowards (laughs) and legion then replies that shepherd's perception does not match the historical data which we will talk about unmasked tally in this don't worry we will get there but uh i thought that was a 
funny little exchange that can yeah. happen. Uh, that she is not the standard. <laughs> uh, whew. So uh, you wanted to talk about disappointments. Do, are, do we want to? Oh, the speaking of bummers, as in yes, this next mission is a real bummer. Oh yeah. So now we're on Rannoch. We got to settle the whole the whole thing, and it is a bummer because. This is a really tough mission to talk about because there are a lot of outcomes and it does a lot of really cool things. It really does. It uh, it, it is a really cool mission that goes to a lot of really cool places. At the same time, we are going to encounter some Bioware mission design in terms of them trying to set up the other side of the conflict. And this is a weird one. Because for a long time, so let's look back at like Tuchanka, right? You go in, the mm. genophage is the obvious like solution. Like, what monster would not want to cure the genophage? We we only ever found one, <laughs> and we flambade him <laughs> live live on podcast. Um, it's in this one. I almost feel like going into it the decision is less about it's again it the decision feels more like what are we going to do about the geth versus am i going to side with the geth versus the Koreans? like it feels like shepherd's going in with an inherently pro Quarian. like no matter what he wants the Quarian. they want the Quarians on their side and right. it's really you're just trying to find a way to make the geth fit into that picture somehow and so from the start the idea that i i think the conflict quickly turns itself into not whether you're going to side with one side or the other but whether you can get the sides to play peacefully together and i feel like bioware starts to frame it that way as well as you learn the very beginning of the mission that legion still has reaper upgrades installed uh that that he says he's like in in control of it's all good he's found a way to repurpose them without having reaper influence but that's still like a little bit of a red flag that feels like it starts to set off this this thought train that maybe they're not like maybe they can't be coerced into working with the quarians and i don't know just trusted in general yeah and i don't know if i like that framing of the conflict as much i mean the the other option you have is to just say like okay you have to pick one or the other and there is that like magical third option which is basically what tuchanka is but here it just feels like the conflict is a slightly different one that just puts a little bit of a weird tinge on it given all this stuff we just talked about with the fighter squadron right uh i mean and we'll when we actually get to the the decision we can talk about a little bit more and i think this also carries a lot of um, things that we can talk about even at the very end of the game but so I from the very beginning it's not like Tuchanka in that we aren't going into this conflict trying to recruit to forces here where that was like originally it was like we're trying to get the, the Turians and Krogan to cooperate so the Krogans can go mm-hmm. help the Turians who will help us we go into Renok like this entire conflict Specifically to get the Quarians. Like, the Geth aren't even, yeah. at this point, considered sort of a factor in terms of, like, somebody that we're looking to also recruit. So that's 
as much as weird as some of the framing might seem, it was never like we didn't come here to get the get. That was that was never the intention from, from the, the outset. outset. Yeah, I can I can see that. So, I can get that. There is like there's a lot less framing that happens here versus what happens with the the Krogan stuff for better or worse. Is that the Krogan thing seems like a natural evolution of like political machinations and stuff like that. A lot of the like council stuff and all that. You're you're doing a lot of what you did in Mass Effect One, which is like doing those big political negotiations. Whereas like this feels more Mass Effect Two in that you're just kind of trying to go in to get a thing done. You know, it's it feels right. a bit more scrappy. It doesn't feel as like high level galactic politics. You're just trying to end the conflict. Right, and even like as like when it first starts, they don't like the Geth are kind of portrayed as sort of like this a lot. Not necessarily even a lost cause, but just like this obstacle to what we're doing because like they're attacking the Koreans, they're ostensibly sided with the reapers so like again like from the big from the outset it doesn't seem like they have the framing that you get from something like going into the geth consensus or the like they're actually before even we go on to this mission legion talks about how like he shows like like comparisons of like geth processes versus geth processes of reaper code and, like, mm-hmm. how it is sort of, like, they don't agree with... Legion doesn't, specifically doesn't agree with the Reapers, but he does agree that this upgrade is beneficial for his people. hmm And it's that idea of, like, could something better be made from that, or are you willing to risk it? I mean, there is, like, there are a lot of levels of inherent trust. And, again, there there is, like, the issue that all of this... This whole decision is being kind of foisted upon Shepard at the end of the day. Right. You know, like... and. And that's kind of, you know, the the thing of Mass Effect is that you are the person making these galaxy-changing decisions, and that's just the person that you play, and that's the person that you are. And I, I do think that one thing this mission in particular does better than, say, the other blockbuster missions in this game, uh, when you think of, like, you know, we've been to Tachanka, we've been to, uh, uh, why can I suddenly not think of it, Palavin. Uh, well, the moon of Palavin. Uh, we've been to... Uh, we will go to uh, Thessia. That was the one I was trying to think of. You think of, like, the big blockbuster missions in this game. They don't find the quiet moments the way that Rannoch does, which is, like, really right. just one specific moment. But they really... I think Bioware, like, correctly realized that setting down on Rannoch with Tali for the first time mm-hmm. is like this moment that they really need to give some weight to because this is like Tali's as Tali notes this is the first time a Quarian has set foot back on the homeworld since they left and you get this like very wonderful moment I love that you learn what Kila Salai means you know you've mm. heard it this whole uh this whole series and never really known what it means. I don't think there's been a dialogue option yet up to this point where they explain it to you. Uh, right. In fact, I'm looking it up just so I get the exact translation correct. By the home world, I hope to see someday. Yes, that was it. Um, it reminds me of, this is really cheesy, but have you read the book Edgar's Game? No, but you've mentioned it. Okay, well, there's, there's, uh, there's a boy that Ender has a say vaguely homoerotic relationship with for mm-hmm. a good early half of the book uh who always like says salam to him uh mm. and that's like a, a th- i believe it means like peace be with you or something like that and uh right. it is an actual phrase uh 
in in modern dialect i i'm so sorry everyone out there who is listening who either speaks this dialect or just knows that part of the book i'm sorry i'm butchering this so bad because this is all fly by the seat of my pants right now but later on he does reveal to ender what it means and that like adds a little bit of weight to it and so you kind of like reflect on all these past interactions that you've had and how it has that like more sentimental meaning to it and that's kind of what you realize like this phrase that sounds so very casual to an outside observer actually has this very sentimental meaning to the people who are saying it to each other and even then it like it means especially more when they say it to an outsider versus somebody else who understands the meaning um, yeah, and and for all that meaning, it's about to ostensibly be kind of uh, archaic. Well, it makes you realize on. that it makes you realize that seeing their homeworld, actually seeing their homeworld with their own he- like quarian, almost said human eyes, <laughs> quarian eyes. Uh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. Uh, with their own quarian eyes, like uh, is is so ingrained in their culture that longing to see it that you all it almost starts to contextualize the extremism that you've seen in some of the the corn ambassadors and admirals and stuff up to this point because you start to understand that it is so ingrained in their culture that they want the home world back at, at and the unspoken part is at any cost but they do want it back so bad that it's something they say to each other as a greeting or a parting uh and that's that's really interesting to me um and you get but again you get like this very quiet moment with talia where she talks about having a living room window they'll be there and shepherd gives her a rock to carry around it's, it's, mm-hmm. again i was furious during this part because i was like just god i'm gonna play this i'm gonna play mass effect 3 again with a mod that that will let me because i know there's a mod out there that lets female shepherd romance talia and that's <laughs> It's just gonna have to happen. I'm sorry. That's that's the way it's gonna go. If Bioware won't give give the fans what they want, the fans will make it. You know, I'm gonna head over to Ao3 and get what I'm looking for. <laughs> so we go through this this whole. We go through a big combat section and. Well, so Ken, catch me up because I'm I'm looking over your notes. I was about to jump forward to the combat, but you do have a note here that there's a renegade check. Uh, what's coming up? Are you talking about something later on in the mission when you mentioned the rene- renegade check here? Because I was trying to remember yeah, if there yeah. was one yeah, yeah. earlier on. Okay, it's later. No, okay, no. Oh, okay. Well, tell me what it is if it's, it's something right now. Oh, no, no. It's not. It is later. Okay, gotcha. So... I will say that the combat at this point, like, again, super maxed out, but this one fight where you just fight a bunch of Geth Prime all at once after going up the elevator, that dumped yeah. me a few times. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whew. They, uh, they ratcheted it up there for once. I was like, okay, cool. I got to actually, like, stop and think and can't just be on autopilot for this part. I have to actually, like, use cover and things like that. Because <laughs> by this point, I was so powerful. I was so overleveled that I rarely had to use cover in a thoughtful way and stuff mm. like that i was usually just using it if my shields actually got low enough that i needed to take cover and hide but the geth prime mm. were just like what's up <laughs> it's like oh it's in like three or four at once it's a yeah thing. it's a lot of them and they uh they don't care about cover because they're just unkillable and they just walk right at you like the damn juggernaut you know they just <laughs> they are <laughs> they're big boys um 
gives you some respect for the fact that you got a bunch of geth prime on your side you're like all right all right we got some got this crack squad waiting for us we can take the reapers now um and then we get into this really i can never decide whether i like this fight or not so the reaper shows up because obviously the mm. reapers are not happy with shepherd's continued interference in all their machinations you know the reapers love this because if the geth just destroy the quarians then hey you know two birds one stone we got it so uh we have a reaper that shows up and uh we have what i will just say amounts to a really dumb fight with a reaper because i felt like on tachanka they gave you an appropriate sense of scale even when you're running underneath a reaper that it's like yeah this thing is huge you alone cannot kill it you cannot hope to stand up to it you have to scurry around and call in something that can handle it that can fight Mm -hmm. it toe to toe and they, I right. thought they did a good job of setting that up, even with the fact that you can get, like, insta-killed if you get stepped on and stuff like that. Like, that's all great. Here we have a section where you're strafing to dodge a Reaper laser that is for some reason sweeping up from the ground towards you so you have time to dodge it, and then charging up a laser that is directing Quarian shipfire into the eye of the Reaper. Uh, yeah, and that uh, feels super video gamey. <laughs> it's incredibly silly. Like just watching it. Like imagine watching that from like an from airborne the view. perspective. It's like, <laughs> Even it's like what is this idiot doing? I don't know. Like they could have made like what they could have maybe done is like maybe had like not necessarily cover, but just like having to move like through different sort of like. If there was like a like a cave system where you were kind of popping out and catching the reaper yeah, by surprise like something or something that, like that, like like something that had had like actual like agency to it instead of just like literally rolling to this. Like I think about, and this is a weird comparison to draw, I know, but like that's my that's my thing here, so I'm gonna do it. Uh, you've played Arkham Knight, right? The, the mm-hmm. second Batman Arkham game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember you mean, the boss fight against? Oh, a city, yeah. I always get those two mixed up. Knight is the third, right, because the, yeah, the Arkham Knight is yeah. in the third one. Uh, Arkham City. <laughs> you remember the Mr. Freeze boss fight, right? Like, the one that everybody yeah, yeah, remembers yeah. from mm-hmm. that game? I think of something like that for a Reaper fight, where you can only ever hit this thing one way, and then it's going to be ready for that always. Because it's like, it's supposed to be this high process learning machine you know it's supposed to be able to adapt to the ways that you fight it so like maybe the idea that you do have to run around this like cavern system that's below the reaper and it's like trying to dig you out and sending in troops after you and so you have to like sneak up and maybe like first you strap explosives to one of its legs to like take out its mobility but then if you ever try that again it has like tasers on the side so it's not you're not going to get it that way again so now you've got to like find the targeting laser that somebody dropped and then target the eye and that directs chip fire onto it but now it's got like a hardened shell up top so you have to find a way to sneak onto its underside and like plant more explosives there like have that sort of progression where it feels like you're this ant taking bites at a lion you know because that is what you're Mm -hmm. doing here you are an ant biting a lion to death and you do have help from the quarians and stuff like that even though like it is kind of weird that they've always set up reapers as this like fleet killing machine 
and then the reaper is so hell-bent on just killing you specifically that it's letting this fleet pummel it to death while it's trying to shoot you with one ineffectual laser like (sighs) it is like it's not like a sovereign harbinger like sized one so i'll give them that like okay maybe the korean fleet can take it out you know in a few shots but it's still like i there like every other encounter you have also that there was only one reaper here is a little bizarre too like i was thinking about that as well that like if they knew shepherd was here they knew that that was going on which they obviously did you think they wouldn't send like at least a couple more reapers or something that's that's the other thing i have to like constantly suspend my disbelief with was at least on tachanka it was like oh they're trying to do this thing and uh oh there's a reaper here but like with rannock the implication was definitely that the reapers were aware of shepherd's presence in some way you know so i i don't know it, the other thing i never felt like i got a good sense of in this game was the scale of how many reapers actually invaded the milky way Mm. and the fact that even though you see tons of them at various points in time throughout the game you only encounter like an amount that i can count on a single hand and like not counting the ones that are just like kind of ambiently in the background or whatever but like you only encounter a few of them and that's kind of also bizarre to me because you would think that the reapers would eventually be like okay look we're just going to dedicate like 10 of us to just blasting the crap out of wherever shepherd is standing and (laughs) once we know that because this idiot's running around with a halo laser gun (laughs) on the ground circle (laughs) strafing (laughs) like ah yeah so this is definitely the point in mass effect where we also have to like severely suspend our disbelief because that is just what it is we have to at this point it was definitely a video game as video game uh which is maybe a little bit of a bummer but once we finish this silly silly boss fight we get to talk to the reaper because this is again a video game so (laughs) uh as you know like they're, they're straight up like Harbinger has been spreading the good word of Shepard's ass kicking around <laughs> the Reaper ranks. Uh, you can like try to get into some stuff, but you just get some super vague things out of it. Like, I know when we initially talked about the first Sovereign talk in Mass Effect 1, you were very down on it. I was very up on it. I liked it because it was that sort of vague, like, you know nothing. I'm not even going to bother to tell you anything. Like, you can't change anything. And you were very much, like, not cool with that. You were kind of frustrated <laughs> with that, as I remember. Uh, here, I'm not with you. I'm like, come on, give us, like, some nugget of information. Like, Yeah, I mean, he kind of I mean, hit it, whatever. Kind of gets into, like, it is sort of like a... There is kind of, like, a tinge of, like, the synthetic organic conflict of, like, we as a species represent order of like the chaos that organic sort of like rain down upon the galaxy so like there is how much of that was in there in the original base game versus what was added as part of leviathan because this part in particular yes i don't think conversation i think it was the same okay because i've just been frequently thinking about that because we'll we'll talk about more with leviathan but 
uh there were motivations and parts of this game that i felt like came out of left field the first time i played mass effect 3 because it felt like they were introduced very late in the game as opposed to like the the weight they should have been given and this that part where they're talking about how it was like controlling chaos and stuff like that felt like it was foreshadowing in a way that i didn't remember from mass effect 3 the first time playing through it but i couldn't remember if that was just something i'd forgotten there's only one set of dialogue that Leviathan changes. It's at the very end. Ah, okay. Yeah. I'm interested to see what that is then when we get there, when yeah. I stream it. <laughs> mm. uh, and now we get into the bummer part. So. Okay. We have destroyed the Reaper, but it seems like the Turians and the Quarians are. Or Turians and Quarians, I'm sorry. The Geth and the Quarians <laughs> are still hellbent on destroying each other the turians and the coins are hell-bent on doing something else if you want to talk about that later <laughs> talk about what's going down on that ship uh only because my female shepherd can't romance one of them so whatever just be happy for him just be happy for him mm. over here not mad at all um the the geth and the coreans still seem hell-bent on destroying each other uh the at this point the geth are pretty much committed because they've realized that the coreans will never stop and they want a right. homeworld as much as the Quarians do and vice versa mm-hmm. so it feels like at the start i mean so it basically sets it up as legion wants to implement a modified version of the reaper code that will give the geth sentience and power uh basically right. free them from their shackles make them a completely unshackled ai much like Edie, uh and give them what they've been looking for Consequently, this will also give them the power to completely wipe out the Quarians. Just mm-hmm. absolutely destroy them. Uh, vice versa, Tally wants you to shut down the Quirt. I don't even think you have well, to necessarily do anything. I think you just stop Legion from doing what he wants to do, and then well, that will make them the ineffectual. Way, the way that and this is like a one of... Okay, so this scene and the various ways it plays out is just like devastatingly sad to me because at this point Tally doesn't know that she's going to stop the fleet and she wants you to stop Legion so he can't upload the code and then the Quarians who are not listening to her won't die in the fight yeah they're starting to shoot basically right they're everyone's like the Quarians are gearing up to try and kill as many try and kill the Geth and if Legion uploads this code they will have the power to stop them from winning so it, it feels like Tally and Legion are, like, against each other again, and they are basically both begging Shepard to stop the other one. And that sucks, because, like, all of this is about... Like, you have, you have these two people here that are kind of, like, they're doing their absolute best to save their people, but their people mm-hmm. are, like, not in the... Like, in a place to... I don't know, like, it's... Because, like, it's not necessarily about stopping Legion or Tally. It's about knowing that if you don't do something... They're going to kill... One of these... One of them them is going to kill the others. Basically, if Legion finishes this upload, the Geth will be too powerful for the Quarians to deal with, and the Quarians will be wiped out. If he doesn't do the upload, if you stop the upload, um, then, basically, the, the Geth will be extinct in a bombardment from the quarians so you're basically choosing 
you're choosing the extinction of one race or the other in a way that feels extremely like it's much more dire than Tuchanka. You know, not to belittle the well, gen page, but it's like super in your face. Like, yeah, it's like you are literally not, deciding who lives and dies right now. Right. Um, there's no like deception or sort of sneakiness to it. You're just you got these two people here telling you to make a decision, and it sucks. And like, just, here's the other thing. Initially, it is portrayed as a binary choice. You are not yeah. immediately presented with a third path. And so the first, but then, so by the same, by the same hand, the first decision you make is completely inconsequential. Because no matter what you choose the first one, it will open up a second dialogue that's basically a confirm mm. yes or no, this is what you want to do, or a reputation check. And you'll have to either... And, and here's the thing about the reputation check. Uh, one, it, it's called Rally the Fleet slash Warn the Fleet, which I wasn't a fan mm. of because both of those sound like they're still going to result in the death of one or the other, you know, right. because Rally the Fleet makes it sound like you're cheering the Quarians on and Warn the Fleet <laughs> makes it sound like you're luring them into a false sense of security or telling them to run away or something like that. Uh, both of them sounded like it was going to result in the death of one side in either way. And who knows, right. maybe it was going to eventually be that. <laughs> but mm. um, here's the other thing. Picking one of the options... So so we talked earlier about how Tuchanka kind of lets you have the best of both worlds in the end. Because while there is... The way to get war assets is like... A, like the most possible war assets is a, essentially a war crime. <laughs> You you can still get, like, pretty close to the most optimal war assets by just making the best, like, ethical choice that you can. Which is, you let the genophage happen, and uh, you save everybody, and then the Salarians are like, Hey, you did the right thing anyways, and we're gonna help you out because story reasons. Here, well, that's... I, just to, like, touch on that, like, you don't get all the Solarian War assets. If you you do don't that. get all of them. Yeah, I'm saying it's not like you get the most possible, but you still get some. The game is still like, oh, we're going to give you some points anyways because you made the good choice. Like, it still kind of felt like it rewarded you for making the ethically sound choice. And, and I remember we talked about it because it, it did kind of feel like this Catch-22 where it was the difference between making a cold calculated decision that could end up like breaking your heart in the end. Like say if you chose to sabotage the genophage and Rex was the leader, then mm. they would later find out. And that, that was like a good way of them kind of metering that with like, Oh, you think you can like scheme, but it's not going to work. Uh, there's going to be ramifications for it here. They really just, they make it feel it they make it feel like the only good decision you get out of this is if you somehow manage to find peace between the both sides. Because if you pick, mm -hmm. if you pick to help the Geth, who have you you have just been shown have been done a history of wrongs by the Quarians, uh, that was, you know, perpetrated upon their own people as well, and you've really seen the dark side of the Quarians, and you're like, okay, you know, like I have to let the Geth be who they want to be. Uh, it ends with the extinction of the Quarians and a very 
very depressing cutscene of Tally throwing herself off a cliff to kill herself. And if if Gal if Tally was dead from the suicide mission, then you have Admiral Shalaran is there, and she just shoots herself, at, you know, because she doesn't want to be the last mm-hmm. Corian alive. And it's like you get that, and then if you choose to stop Legion, you have to murder Legion, uh, where you just basically get several interrupts where you just continuously shoot him like it's freaking RoboCop, and the Geth are completely wiped out. There is, like, no... There is no sense of a decent outcome out of either one of those options. So the game almost punishes you for not having a high enough reputation at this point, which I suppose, you know, like, yeah, that is kind of what Mass Effect goes for, and we talk a lot about having choices that matter and things like that. But I feel like this one goes for it in a way that is almost like just a little bit like it goes game of thronesy almost in the way that's like oh we have to really kill some people to make you feel like this was the big moment and i I don't know i've never i've never personally played this mission getting anything other than the the peace between both sides which is which is a wonderful resolution to the entire thing and you get this very wonderful cutscene of the fleets backing down and legion sacrifices himself to make the uh to make the true intelligence go throughout the the geth and you have this wonderful mo- here's the other thing okay this is actually what bothers me Ken. i'm getting to the heart of it don't worry i'm talking my way through it okay. <laughs> in this ending you get this very touching moment between legion and tali where they're like oh you know like we're we're friends and this unit does have a soul and stuff like that whereas if you choose the other options which granted only happen in about the span of a couple seconds here either one is willing to just completely murk the other (laughs) like just completely kill them in cold blood and not think twice about it and knowing how that works almost like i almost wish it was a harder decision to make on the sides of either one of them because knowing how those pan out just cheapens it almost so i don't I, I, so, this is me this is me specifically because Tali and legion right. are two of my favorite characters as well like it's the fact that you're making me choose between my favorite children and then be like dangling this magical happy option where i don't have to cut the doll into half to please both kids or whatever like i can just say magic words and i'll be okay like i don't know it's, ugh. <sighs> so a few things you got the wiki open right now right yeah yeah, yeah. okay so is there, like, a chart or something that says... Because, like, it's not just a reputation check. Yeah, so there are a, several factors. So... Like, a lot... Like, so... Just like it was with, the like, factors, the and Tuchanka. The, the reputation checks... I'm going to read this directly from the wiki again. This is the Mass Effect fandom wiki. Thank you all so much. Y'all have been fueling this playthrough. Uh, we just want to shout out some thanks to y'all. Uh, the reputation checks requirements are complex. First, there are factors which seem to be purely pass-fail, missing even one of them flunks the reputation check as a whole. Uh, Shepard has to have at least four bars of reputation. Tally and Legion must both be present. So that means you have, need to have an imported save where um, Tally and Legion both survive the suicide mission. Uh, if fun fact if no save was imported and you're just playing mass effect 3 like 
say, on the Wii U for the first time. <laughs> Tally will have been exiled and will not be able to support Shepard with an Admiral's authority, while Legion will not appear at all. So this ending is essentially impossible in, if you are playing Mass Effect 3 for the first time, uh, as, as your first Mass Effect game. And you have to have done uh, Geth Fighter Squadrons, the mission we just talked about before this. So you do have to have done all that to even receive the reputation check as, as an option. Um, additionally, there are factors that build up your trustworthiness trustworthiness to both parties and if Shepard has not done enough of them you will not have the goodwill needed to moderate a ceasefire so you get two points for destroying the heretic geth in legion house divided that's the legion loyalty mission uh so if you destroy the heretic geth instead of rewriting them you will have extra points towards this uh if you prevent tally's exile you will have extra two extra points towards this which is again tally's loyalty mission uh, from Mass Effect 2. Uh, you, and then you get a point each for completing Admiral Chorus, saving Admiral Chorus, and brokering a piece in the Tally Legion loyalty argument, which is in Mass Effect 2. So there's a lot of carryover from Mass Effect 2 on this decision as well. Like, mm-hmm. you basically... This is almost the mission that says, like, hey, you should have played Mass Effect 2. <laughs> because if you don't, this is going to be real friggin' sad. Right. So, at, like, <laughs> taking all of that into consideration, I don't... Like, it's easy, yes, to say the reputation check is magic words, but it's like, you're not even getting that option if you haven't done X, Y, and Z. Like, you don't, like... There are a lot of factors that play into the way that this whole thing culminates. And, yeah, like, you not do... Like, you do the quote-unquote wrong thing in any of those situations, and you could be completely screwed. So I don't... It doesn't really feel like it cheapens any of these scenes to, like, have it all, like, have it boil down to, like, a reputation check, because, like, there's all this stuff that's going on, and, like, it even is informed by, the, like, the speech that Shepard gives, because, like, they say, like, they'll point out these things that we're talking about, like... I guess uh, this is, like, like this is the mm-hmm. ultimate goal of what you want, right, from Mass Effect, is the idea that all of these decisions you've made up until now have mattered in some way, mm-hmm. that they have played right. out in some effectual way. I guess maybe my... My anger is more towards the fact that there is one permutation that exists for people who have devoted a lot to it, and then there's sort of the two catch-alls for everything else, where if you did not open up that ability for a ceasefire, like, I think maybe I'd just be a little bit more impressed if there was more permutations possible like there are with Tuchanka or other decisions that you make in, in this game versus like like, it i don't want to like compare it to the rachni because it's not anywhere near the rachni but it does kind of suck that like you get forced into this binary and then like the reward is that you get to negotiate the ceasefire if you've played a certain way and done certain things but i'm almost i'm almost as interested to ask like say you played through mass effect 2 but you did the opposite of this you know like what if Mm. You know, is, is there a decision you can make that just negotiates a ceasefire without necessarily like brokering a peace? Where you basically say like, okay, the Quarians go, need go to your corners. Yeah, the Quarians need to retreat. The Geth can keep Rannoch for now. You can settle this once the Reaper threat is taken care of, and then maybe you only get one side. Maybe depending on, mm. maybe you negotiate yeah. who gets Rannoch and who has to find a different place to live, 
and then you gain whichever side it is but you manage to keep them from killing each other that day but then it kind of leaves it lingering like oh they're going to go back to war the second mm. the reapers are gone and that would be that would be interesting but my but it maybe I, also doesn't feel fit like, because it like the place where they're at right. is they have guns pointed at each other they're going to shoot like this is right and and Renok is this thing for the Koreans like they're not going to walk away from like yeah. they they're they're either going to get it now or they're going to die trying. It's um yeah. It's I think a lot about this. I th- you know, sometimes I got to you know me Ken, sometimes I got to talk through my feelings <laughs> on something. I got to get there. Um mm-hmm. and I still feel like this is a this is a mission that has one really stunning ending that feels almost like it was the one that was designed to be the canon choice for all legacy mass effect players and then for everyone else it was kind of this red wedding moment of you're going Mm. to make a choice and there's going to be like horrible ramifications no matter what you do like i mean i think that was always not not even that that was always a possibility i think that was always close to an inevitability because like you know like there again there are all these individual factors that you have to get to get that everybody wins ending so like i I wonder, like, if we could ever see stats of, like, who was even able to broker peace versus, like, not necessarily who just did it, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I guess it is nice as a reward that you get this, you know, you get to see this, like, very touching moment where it's like, oh, the Geth and the, the Quarians are standing side by side. You get, like, this the funny little joke about how, like, so the Geth integrate with the Quarian suits and their, like, their processes are basically... Um, inflicting the Corians with minor infections and stuff like mm. that so that way they can get accustomed to sickness without the danger of going without their suits so that way they can like accelerate the process by which they can mm-hmm. leave their suits behind and if you're romancing Tali you get a very funny joke about um, Shepard's like oh so you're letting some geth into your suit now and she's like I'm only letting <laughs> one person into my suit and I'm like mm let me romance you damn cowards <laughs> so um so before we before we talk about yeah yeah yeah, the, uh, yeah. i want to ask if you had to have picked what would you have done if i had to have picked mm-hmm. Corians. okay i look i love i love the story of the geth i really do and mass effect 3 really sold me on that and this is like the biggest but because there is no good choice there is no good choice i can't right. even pretend to try and justify it but i know mm. in my gut if i was given that decision in a video game right now and i was not given any sort of out i would pick the Koreans every time mm. what about okay. you? what about you i like without question would have done the Koreans because it starts to like if it wasn't like even if it, the main thing that had, like sold it to me was that that scene with Tally, like, at the beginning of this mission where she's, like, talking about this, like, how she wants to have, you know, the, the, the window will go right here. And then she's, like, she's used to carrying her house around others, so you give her a rock. And I'm, like, that is real, and it is indisputably real, but there's all, because there's always this thing that's, like, in my gut, and it's gonna factor into, like, my very final decision in this trilogy <laughs> that knows the geth emulate life they are not necessarily life Mm. i'm looking forward to the end of this series then because i know (laughs) that you and i come to the same decision on the ending but it sounds like we come to it for very different reasons so i'm yeah i'm and that is 
and I'm I'm ready to press you on that. Uh huh. So, well, mine's kind of simple, but we'll get there. <laughs> it's so. I I will say that my reasons for picking the Quarians are, I mean, shallow in some ways because Tali is my favorite character in the series. Um, mm-hmm. On most given days, you know, it fluctuates between her and, and Liara and Garrus, but it's usually Tally most of the time. Uh, but also, I think even though like the the points for the Gather that we have seen that you know there have been atrocities committed by the Corians that they are kind of war hawks, you have to wonder what are the Corians going to be like once they've settled a homeworld, and you know, are mm-hmm. they going to become? more expansionist are they going to want to are they going to seek new horizons could you know almost like the krogan you know you start to wonder Mm. as much as you worry about the geth and stuff like that like at the same time what is a quarian homeworld will they want like representation on the council now will they start conflict with the council because they're not being represented in the way that they feel they should um Mm. You know, we've seen that the Quarians are kind of treated like second-class citizens on places like the mm-hmm. Citadel and other places. So how does that start to change? Um, and the the points against the Geth really just come down to, like, what Legion said at the beginning of this mission, that he's integrating Reaper code. And there is just that kind of, like... I, and we'll get into it when we get to the ending, because this is kind of where my thinking comes from, is that synthetic life in this galaxy has been forever tainted by the reapers in some way there's they have had a hand as as you gradually learn throughout the series in affecting synthetic life in some way at every turn even like i don't even think Edie is like clear of this because uh based on reaper code yeah and at some level you know you've had a lot of like points where it's like oh there's a reaper runtime in this unit now it's slowly turning on us like yeah there's that but it's also like there are certain things so deeply programmed in their subsystems that it they're kind of like this ticking time bomb that you're always worried about and it just kind of makes you inherently trustful of a lot of synthetic life in this galaxy and that kind of sucks because i do want the geth that just thrives as this like ai society and like we can see what an ai society is like versus a human society uh but i know that the quarians mean a lot to me sentimentally like you mentioned like her sitting down her feet and that means something like the the planet means something to her it just holds sentimental attachment that legion does not necessarily feel and that makes me inherently question why the geth want ranok versus something else like why why is ranok specifically important to them why you know if they don't have this sentimentality what does it mean to them and things like that and so that's when i start to wonder like what are their motivations outside of just you know like wanting a home if they wanted a home why aren't they sitting down anywhere else same thing you can ask the Koreans, you could ask the geth and right i don't know we get into like big philosophical discussions there that we'll definitely talk about during the ending that i need to like mentally prepare myself for but uh (laughs) it's i i also just know like given that choice there are sometimes you're just like yeah that's that's what i'm gonna pick because i just like the quarians more i just if i had to choose a mass effect universe that had one of those like factions in it that would be what i would choose every time because they're just fascinating to me i love their culture i love their place in the universe i think they're one of the more interesting alien races that you encounter in video games period and mm. uh 
yeah whereas the geth like i've heard this story before a sentient ai that you're worried about whether it's going to go bad or not like yeah i'm sorry i've heard this story before like i don't care about that one i, I care about the corian story more because that's the one i haven't heard before uh so we do have to talk about one specific thing so at this point tally takes her mask off we do not see it there is there is an in-game so this is kind of the weird part there is supposedly like an in-game model rendering of tally's face even though we never see it in the cutscene or anything uh we just hear tally speak without a mask mm-hmm. uh and then later we get a photo uh if you have is it only if you've romance tally or can only you... yeah, yeah okay i was trying to remember if you could like get it if you're still on like really good terms with her or something but no because uh, i which i mean i, I think that's I, I like that, that is, honestly. Oh, that, like, it's appropriate because that's what they've always done for like romances and stuff is that you end up with like a picture on your bedside. I think it was in Mass Effect 2 they did that as well mm. uh, because there is like a scene in Mass Effect 2 if you are still like loyal to Liara or Ashley um, you get like their picture on the bedside and when you're like hurtling towards a suicide mission you like look longingly at their picture and then like go off and stuff. Which makes you wonder what Shepard was doing all that time that you would otherwise spend going to Bone Town. So, huh? Still going to Bone Town. Still, hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hmm. <laughs> but there was kind of some hubbub over this picture at one point because wasn't it eventually yeah. found that it was an edited stock photo of, of like mm-hmm. a model or something? Which again, yeah. look. It's not the first time that's ever happened in a video game. It's not going to be the last. <laughs> like that's like okay. So my feeling on this, yeah, it's modeled after something that already existed. But so is Miranda. So is James. So is Caden. So like so is are so many characters in this game that have face models that like are used to portray the way they look in the game. I don't think it's really that big of a deal if Tally is on that list. This isn't even close to, like, the level of, like, an Ace Combat 7 when they just use a PNG stock photo of a dog for that one cutscene. It's just straight up, like, they photoshopped a dog picture into a cutscene. Wait, what was this? You need to look this up. Look up Ace Combat 7 dog sometime because there is a... Oh, I mean, I've seen that that's, video, but that's I never, real. like, looked hard enough at it. Yeah, to... no, it's a Photoshop stock photo of a dog like they just used the magic lasso to pull a dog out of a stock photo and put it in a cutscene where other people are moving and stuff it's just this static still of a dog wow. it's really good it's really really good um yeah mm. so it's it's not like it's that and i guess the thing that i've always had an issue with uh harkens back to what we were just talking about in the fighter squadron mission with legion noting that tally is not necessarily representative of the alien race when you get a look at tally Tally's pretty humanoid you know by like all standards looks fairly human-esque with just like the right amount of alien tinges to make her look different but not necessarily look expressly non-human and this is maybe like my larger issue with some of the council races as a whole is that they are largely humanoid and i get that you know like we we've talked a lot about like controlled evolution and things like that and you you can note how even in like past cycles like with the protheans the species that rose to the top were 
of a certain design you know they had two legs two arms could operate machinery in that way and stuff like that there's like evolutionary reason for why those species would be better suited to rising up to the top of the food pyramid and ending up as like a council race and stuff like that over say a hanar who can't necessarily like wield a gun in the same way or something like that um but it always does kind of, it, it bums me out because it's like that star trek thing of where the alien is just like a pretty girl in blue makeup or green makeup or whatever and mm. That kind of bummed me out because, like, yeah, Tali definitely looked human-esque, but there are, like, features about her. I, I think Quarians have a different number of fingers. I might be... Yeah, yeah. I got three. Yeah, and stuff like that. And so, like, just seeing her, oh, yeah, that's, like, a, that's a pretty girl with, you know, kind of, like, some weird hues to her and stuff like that. Like, that was maybe kind of a bummer. Also, where'd she get In the photo? Of, like... She got... <laughs> she got somebody to take them for her like she got like okay so she's like unmasked right like fully Mm -hmm. unsuited okay let's get to that Mm -hmm. okay so in somewhere in the time between you taking ranok and you going to citadel 3 which is the next mission that we have to which is keep in mind the thing that we have to go do immediately after ranok i don't i don't think we get a break here i don't think we have a chance to do extra missions i might be wrong there I th- um yeah you you can go we can do extra one. okay this is the one where it like immediately forces you in is that the next no. one there's one it, i don't there's one coming up where we it. get forced in though because i remember maybe i'm thinking of something else i don't think so oh no no i'm Not thinking i'm thinking about i'm thinking about the last mission and the second to last mission because like yeah, once yeah. you do one mission then the only thing you can do after that is london um right that's what i'm thinking of so anyways but yeah somewhere in that time and you know granted there's like war going on and there's reapers everywhere and stuff tally found the time to uh set up a little professional photo shoot during the, the golden hour and get a photographer out there and stuff like that like you know you could headcanon it maybe that this is like a picture a, just a really good picture that like shepherd took while they were on like a picnic date on ranock or something but again where's shepherd finding the damn time to do that shit when the damn galaxy's on fire <laughs> i don't know it's just i i always think about that i'm like where'd that photo come from how'd that happen where did she have a photo ready where did she get this done like is there a quarian photo shoot place where you can go and get them done out of your suit and stuff like that is that like a thing that would be a business i would run quarian photography my only thoughts on like her design <laughs> are <laughs> I love how you're just like I'm not even gonna address all that. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just gonna just just let it go, just let it simmer. And I'm gonna make a lot of money show. on my Corian photography agency while you're over there. Oh, yeah, how's your clientele? How many Corians you got showing up Wait. to ask for pictures? Look, nothing ventured, nothing gained. All right, I'm gonna put mm. I'm gonna put supply before demand. My only question about like Tally's actual design is like I'm surprised she has hair. Like that too. Yeah. Now that I think about that. That was... Because, like, that's an opportunity to make her look more alien to, like, just not ever have human Yeah, hair. wait a but... minute. Why do, they, mm-hmm. why do they have hair? Like, the hair is going to be all nasty in that suit all day? Like, they don't have... They can't shampoo and condition it. First of all, have you ever thought about, like, what a Korean suit smells like if they're in that thing all the time? I would say time? it's got to be hot. It's got to be musky. It's got to be, like, just... Like, just 
damp in bad ways from like sweat and shit like that because like what's going on in there that's like taking care of that stuff and like it's gotta not be like is there some sort of like antiperspirant like plug-in that's going in there that's like deodorizing every 12 hours or what have you and like what's going on honestly i could see a lot of that stuff because quarantine suits are so bioware integral to these people's give lives, me the information i got... need does tally somehow shampoo and condition her hair because that's that's good hair she's got in that picture i need to know i need to know what the suit hair care re- resume is regiment mm. is <laughs> good lord the reggie fils for getting the best hair <laughs> we should probably wrap this up i'm doing great i'm definitely not delirious from working all day um yeah we should wrap this up uh, I, let me double check our uh our schedule real quick which i have to do every week because i'm great about this uh we're doing some more citadel side quests uh do we do you have something specific on the docket you want to tease the, the listeners with here ken uh, i mean a lot of it's going to be sort of checking in with people and like setting up for some of the things they off in the future like we gotta go see miranda mm-hmm. we gotta go see what javik is up to oh yeah we might go see zaid yeah zaid we have I mean, not seen zaid yet he's got a whole two minutes of screen time no, we can talk about Ken, it's a thrilling epic that we get into with zaid where just layers of intrigue that you are not even prepared for all right Zaid is a critical member of the mass effect family and we will not do an injustice by him <sighs> Because it means the return of my Zaid voice. <laughs> oh, great! I would, I was just like, I'm kind of near the end of my Mass Effect three play for, through for the show, and I'll say his stuff in Citadel is pretty good. Okay. Probably the best stuff that he's got in the series. Well, that's a low bar, Ken, but we'll see if we can clear it, anyways. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm going to seriously look into probably this weekend finding time to stream yes. Citadel. I th- think that's what i'm going to be aiming for i'm going to run like a stream check early this week that might involve me potentially playing some multiplayer or something like that but Mm. otherwise um or if i boot it up i might just boot it up to see if i can run things and i might just do like a playthrough of whatever mission i decide i might like download a save or something and just play parts of it just to see where it's at but uh i'll keep that updated you can stay tuned to the individual twitter feeds that we have i am at c moosey and ken over here is at shepherd cdr or you can tune on into norm dfm show uh on our twitter handle or you can head over to patreon.com slash norm dfm where you can support us and keep the show going in the meantime hope you sleep well listener we'll see you next week on norm dfm Yeah,